Warning! This podcast contains hot takes, cliched opinions, and strong language. Welcome to the podcast where each week I, Rob Jones, sit down with a revolving or revolting cavalcade of musicians and music lovers to talk rubbish about our favourite records and bands. You're crazy if you think it's so easy to ride the night train with Mr. Brainstone all the way to Paradise City. Anything goes tonight as we get into Guns N' Roses' debut album, Appetite for Destruction. Very good. Do you like that? Yeah. Didn't you? I, I couldn't quite, I was trying to work out if I could tick them all off. I, but it just... I love dad jokes and I love Appetite for Destruction. So you've got two things going there. So Sam is joining me tonight, is also is Scott Hardy, who is the guitar player for Angry Barrels. I say I know you play the guitar as well, but he's he's like the guitar player, isn't he? He's the guitarist in my band, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's the guitarist. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yes. But Scott, you actually saw Guns N' Roses at the weekend. I did, yeah. It was one of the best nights of my life. I'd put it up there with like my wedding night, probably. <laughs> Would you tell your wife that though? <laughs> she was there with me, actually. <laughs> oh, sorry. Both both times? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've I've never seen them, and it's one of those bands that I don't know if I want to see them now. Yeah, like I I only ever saw them on on like videos or perform, you know, like live performances back in the nineties, and they were absolutely electric. And I just worry that Fat Axel might be a bit of a letdown. Whereas, like, I'd still go and see the Pixies because I don't know if this just. But you weren't disappointed? Not at all, no. I mean, they still know how to put on a spectacle. Like, they had some sound issues, like I was saying to you before we started. But, I mean, obviously, when you're near 60, you can't hit notes that you can hit when you're 20 anyway. Like, none of the bands can do that. But it was it was just absolutely fantastic. We've seen quite a lot of that lately with, like, John Bon Jovi struggling as well. There's been stuff in the papers for that. And the boy from Kiss was having a bit of a merry night somewhere. Yeah, well, Kiss, I mean, they were Guns N' Roses influences, so they're even older. Like, they'd be striving with Bon Jovi. I mean, nobody gives a shit, really. <laughs> well, again, we'll get into this age. <laughs> I, well. I know it's but, a bit different, but um, on, on a similar thing, like, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but, like, Rod Stewart, when he did, those recent live performances was it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Like, you know, it was just completely shot. You know, you're saying that like some aren't quite what they were. Mm. Poor old Rod, like Okay, can I just interject something there? I heard this, you know, that whole if you hear yourself singing or or recorded and you, you don't really like the sound of your own voice, well most people don't. Yeah. Apparently Rod Stewart absolutely loves the sound of his own singing. I can imagine that. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. I'm guessing I'm probably the only uh, vague Rod Stewart fan in the group tonight. But I like a bit of Maggie May, but I'm not. I don't. I couldn't tell you many of his songs. Yeah. To be fair, greatest hits. I, I don't don't think I own an album. I imagine you were the same with Guns N' Roses, though. Yeah. To be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so where were we on Guns N' Roses? Scott had been to see him. They're pretty good. Axel was struggling. Sasha was good, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you can't barely take your eyes off him like he's that good. And, I mean, Axel still put on a, one hell of a show despite having vocal issues. They've actually cancelled their Glasgow show so that he can have a bit of time to, I don't know, get to recover. But, I mean, yeah, touring like that's got to take a toll on your vocal cords. Mm. Oh, yeah, you know. yeah. Is it Axel and Sasha and a bunch of... Hired dudes, There's or Duff is it? As well. Orig- oh, Duff's back. Yeah, consistently the coolest man on earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me, um, me and Leon did a bit, of ne- bit of an episode about um, bass players and that, and he was up there with like Kim Deal for me for like my favorite bass players. Yeah, like, he's- 
And it's more about, it's, I was saying, I think I said on that one, it's less about what he's playing and more about the style that he has and like the way he carries himself on stage. Oh, definitely. He's, Without he's, moving, he's, he's got one hell of a yeah. stage presence. So. And he's de- he's definitely the punk in that band. Oh, yeah, for sure. And he's from Seattle as well. So the, the, You're saying about the vocal issues with Axel. Was that technical issues as in like, sound issues as much as performance do you think or i think so i think because at one point he threw the microphone to the side of the stage and gave it the big shrug to the road he's like sort that now but no he, he said like you may tell that i'm having problems and he was like mm. pointing at his throat and uh he said i'm gonna have to do this baritone change the songs up a little to accommodate for it ah uh, yeah, yeah 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 i th- stick a capo on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i um i i personally i, I think it's better to do that than to try and and fail or fail, but do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, well, I mean, you don't want to end up like Vince Neil from Motley Crue, who just shrieks and doesn't yeah. make any intelligible words. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's get into this record, shall we? So, released on the July the twenty first, nineteen eighty seven. So that's thirty five years ago. Why? So that's how old are you, Sam? Thirty five. Right, and you're just thirty. Yeah. So that- before both of you it peaked at number one on the billboard 200 it became the seventh best-selling album of all time in the u.s how many records do you reckon it sold worldwide to date to date yeah 200 million oh fuck <laughs> 30 million that's not bad that's pretty good going isn't it one of the big things i noticed was they released five five singles off of it but spread over a two-year period because they were just non-stop touring so it's like touring to support the album and then the singles were coming out to support the tour if you like so rather than like nowadays an album comes out there's five singles off it in a week and then two years later it's the next album and the next tour this like yeah singles two years mm. worth of releases of singles i thought that's quite impressive yeah what were the singles oh, curiosity. No. paradise city so, sweet John well, no the f- first one was uh it's so easy and mr brainstone double a side and then there was sweet child of mine paradise city welcome to the jungle and night train but wh- i don't know if it's in that order but those were definitely the singles and for me it would have been paradise city would have been the first one i had heard way back in the day but it wouldn't have been in i wouldn't have heard it in 1987 i would i think paradise city came out in 1988 and I probably didn't hear it until probably the following year or the year after that even. Yeah. But it's one of my favourite records of all time ever. Same. It's definitely top, top five for me. Yeah. And it's probably the, the record that got me into proper though guitars. I don't know. What about you, Scott? How, like, with you being that much younger than me, how did you get into so, it? So it all started, I think I was in a car with my dad um and he had the greatest hits on and i was like what is this this is amazing got the greatest hits album myself then started research because this was before the google thing i (laughs) I went to i think it was a hmv saw the the earliest album and then appetite was there and i just thought that had the coolest looking cover so i tried that one and i was like jesus christ like that was me absolutely hooked and like you said that's what got you onto guitar i can't emphasize enough just how much that album got me onto everything music that I am now. I mean, when you came to the studio with us, you saw I've got Slash's signature guitar. Mr. Brownstone is the first riff I play when I pick up a guitar to warm up for a show. If I'm noodling, it's always basically something off that that album. I just, it is everything of my musical taste. Is Do on you know what? Night. I uh, was listening to the record today and that 
riff came on, I was like, ah, that's what that is. I recognised <laughs> from you playing it, and I was like, because I'm not that familiar with the record, so I'm going to leave it to you two to sort of really get into it tonight. But yeah, I thought, ah, oh, right, yeah, yeah, that tracks. So the the um, Manic Street Preachers tell the story of like when they were first, gig- or not even gigging, but just decided they were going to be in a band together. James Dean Bradfield basically got the album, locked himself in a room for like three days and didn't come out until he could play everything on it. Yeah. Is that similar for you? I then? used to be able to play it back to back, um, back when I was, you know, a teenager and had endless time to play guitar. And now it's, I just pick a few tracks that I like to play off it. But yeah, it was it was constant. I mean, I had the Marshall back then, and I had a an Epiphone Les Paul that they're not quite what they are now. It was, but it was that you know that amber color that Slash had and everything. And yeah, I just wanted to be that. What about you then, Sam? Because like, like would it have just been from like Osmosis from me? Yeah, probably. Because they're not really one of your bands. No, are not they? not really. No, my my sort of youth, if you will. Um, with sort of heavier stuff was probably more lean to like Metallica, I would say, would have been like the the big metal influence or, or band on my radar, I would say. But yeah, no, no, you, it's probably fair, Rob, that Guns N' Roses is always one of your bands. And there was a lot on Appetite that I was a bit more familiar with than I thought I was going to be. And I think that right. probably is just from it sort of being on a bit. So I think I had like a, cassette taped copy of it yeah but that first christmas we were up in Lempster, so that would have been like 92 mum bought me usual illusion 2 right you, you see that's a guns and roses record that i'm not i wouldn't say more familiar with but like yeah i reckon i've probably heard that more and again that probably is because of, of you what we've been trying to do scott just because obviously last time you were on we did the christmas stuff um yeah. our christmas special um, but what we've been trying to do is with records like this is to give some awards for the album. I think this might actually only be the second one that we've done properly. Yeah, I've done one with Eon as well. Um, so we did the Arctic Monkeys first record. That was oh, it's one. a great album. It is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to kind of compare and let you and Rob sort of hash it out as I feel it's more of a U2 record, not a U2 record your record than mine yeah and i thought it's not in the order we listed but you were speaking so uh so passionately about the the guitar playing on it and your sort of relationship with it mm. so i thought we would jump in straight in at our i wish i'd written that riff lyric etc yeah uh, rob normally comes up with terrible titles for these but i don't know if he's got any today so yeah, so off off of appetite for destruction, Scott. I'll come to you first. What is the the riff or the lyric or the guitar line? Okay, uh, in terms of lead lines, there is probably at least two on every single song that I wish right. I'd written. <laughs> Genuinely, it is that good. Uh, a riff, just because it's really badass, I think is out to get me. Like it is just dripping with attitude that one and it's, yeah. it's crazy you're crazy the song uh the guitar solo in that is just an absolute belter it's just furiously quick and yeah that one i could go on all night with what i wished i'd written off appetite like it is 
is just perfect. <laughs> well, Sam said about Arctic Monkeys that it, it was basically the whole album that he wished he did. Yeah, so, I'm much yeah, the same. So. I'm much the same. I, I should, uh, you'll probably end up editing this around a bit, but every now and again, I'll get stuck on Appetite for Destruction. I used to be when I had the CD in my car and it wouldn't, like every time I got in the car, it was maybe mm. six months. It would just be Appetite constantly. And I'd never get sick of it. Never get sick of it. And it's to this day now, after... Saturday, that's all I've been listening to, and it will continue to be so until further notice. So you can look forward to that when I pick you up the band. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've picked a couple of bits, and they're both out of the same song, to be honest. You know, like probably the back third of Paradise City, when it just starts to run, and it just keeps going and going and going, yeah. it's getting faster. That's just that's just amazing. It's yeah. just, yeah, it, it's just like, right, and now we're going to run with it, and it just goes. But the best bit on the whole album for me is it's in the same song it's the whistle before the verse riff kicks oh, in. oh yeah just like the referee's whistle it's like i think i've said before on something that on uh, uh crown of thorns by mother love bone there's a kick it as he goes from like the the breakdown bit back into the chorus yeah so he, he screamed to kick it but that whistle is the best here we go yeah the whistle yeah. followed by the two snare hits like yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah that's a great way to to bring it so I, I you know out of the whole album i think that's just perfect i mean yeah yeah i would agree there you got one sam or not um i really like the um the best of guns and roses no um, <laughs> <laughs> i think the drop in welcome to the jungle is really good where it goes because obviously it's all it's massive and then there's that little lull towards sort of like the back third and then it kind of kicks again and like the intro on that is like the guitar playing is really cool don't know obviously scott you know my guitar playing better than most and i'm not a particularly technical minded guitarist but that i don't know how he does it but it sounds really really cool i'll teach you it on monday nice there we go and it's just like i always liken it to almost like a helicopter effect almost if you mean that like sort of cutting in and out almost yeah there is a delay pedal involved but it's like playing the g and the b string at the same time there we go yeah also, I will just give a mention for like production wise, the drum sound across the whole album is amazing. Yeah, it's big, isn't it? Like not quite as yeah. big as Motley Crue went, but it's 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 almost spot on. It's not too in your face, but you can you can tell it's there. There's a couple. There's two or three albums that come to mind when you think about drum sounds. And until I was like listening back to this a lot this week, I never really put this in that category. But I've been listening to it on my good headphones and like. Yeah, that snare really cracks. Is and it's similar to like um, on Doolittle, the drum sound mm. on Doolittle by the Pixies is just something different. Apparently, like on that record, they use like twenty five mics to, for the drum kit, and they're, they're all at different intervals across the room from the drum kit just to get this real yeah. cool sound. Yeah, and it feels it, like you say it just feels big, doesn't it? Yeah, big is the word for it. I would say. So yeah, I'll move you on to what I'm going to affectionately call the. If you don't think Common People is Pulp's best song, you've got your head up your ass award for best song on the album. Now, uh, I can't give you one. No? No, I can't give you. I genuinely love, I like, every single one on there it has its turn for me, I think. I'm going to put Sweet Child of Mine for you then. <laughs> well, look, there was a time when that was. But, yeah, if I was to say right now, this very second, it'd probably be out to get me. Right, yeah. I've got a few. I've got maybe Welcome to the Jungle, maybe It's So Easy. I can remember having a party at someone's house when we were, well, say we were kids, when we were teenagers, like, um, and I walked into the room and Dave Arrowsmith's just there and he's just um, 
Is it the um, I smoke my cigarette with style? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just stand there and he's just miming it, and he's like, "It's Dave Arrowsmith," but he's for some reason he's looking cool, and he's just like, "Yeah, you're a dude." Um, Rocket Queen's brilliant. Yeah, so good. And I really like the outro, even though it's really quite mellow. Yeah, no, you it's um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Virgin on pop. That isn't it? That yeah, yeah, that's it. yeah. Um, I, I think Night Train's the best song on the album. Yeah. But that's just me. But then tomorrow it could be something exactly. Else. That's why I can't really yeah. give one because they all yeah. have their turn with me. But the, the, there's not a bad one, is probably the point. Um, so yeah, we we when we discussed Holt on an early episode, I was making a point that like it's okay for the hit to be their best slash your favorite song, yeah. So, like, you know, I mean, Paradise City is probably my favorite song on the record, and I think that's okay because it's a great song, yeah. You know, it's, it's, a great great song. it's a great song. And I, I think it's a better song than Sweet Child of Mine as well. But oh yeah, that's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's cool. It's cool to not like Sweet Child of Mine now, isn't it? If you think it, like, oh, if you're a Guns and Roses fan, it's like um, Wonder Wolf or Oasis, isn't it? It's the one yeah. for not fans. But we'll we'll, we'll get into yeah. this on the next on the next category, I think. Yeah. So next, we're going to touch on the worst song or most skippable parts of the album. None. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to go with Sweet Child of Mine, but in only in the same way that Smells Like Team Spirit is the most skippable track on Nevermind or Alive is the most skippable track on 10. It's, I've probably heard it potentially every day for 30 years. Yeah, so yeah. you know it inside out. You don't need to hear it again. Yeah. But if it does come on the radio and I'm not expecting it, I'm turning yeah, it Yeah, hell yeah. I know what you mean. It's it's one of those that if you listen to the whole album and you push for time, you'll skip it on because you can probably do it in your head backwards. Yeah, but... I don't skip any personally, and especially not Sweet Child of Mine because there was one, the run in between the slower solo at the end of the first, at the end of the second chorus, sorry, and then the big sort of solo in the middle. That has eluded me for maybe since I was about fifteen and first tried to learn the song. But during the lockdown, I sat and I must have listened to that. 10 seconds of the song maybe 5 million times but still I never get tired of it and and I managed eventually to get the run committed to muscle memory so I can do it now so that was a, a proud moment um I suppose with with like Sweet Child of Mine and Paradise City you, you might and just trying to build on what you were saying Rob about like you don't necessarily need to hear it but it's still a little treat when you do yeah and now this is where I'm I'm really interested because like I've actually got some thoughts on this. So we're going to talk about how it stands up, this record, this band, to its peers. And now I'm interested to see what you both feel are Guns N' Roses peers. So the examples that you sort of threw out to begin with, just for a discussion as part of like our award giving, were Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, etc. Yeah, so I kind of got my timelines a bit wrong there because Motley Crue, what's that first album, Motley Crue? Shout of the Devil. Shout of the Devil, that was at 81. 1983 sorry just for that right, okay but there, there was another album as well about 81 but i always think of guns and roses i think of like the la strip and all those hair metal bands and again this is where the timelines get mixed up because they are a little bit before our time so appetite comes out i'm probably eight so i'm not in the scene <laughs> i'm not at the i'm not at the whiskey but i always put them in with motley crew rat sticks poison. all of those sort of bands poison if you like yeah but if you look at the other big records it, like around those times, the biggest records, like rock records, if you like, would have been 
Slippery When Wet, then this, and then Hysteria by Def Leppard. Yeah. So whereas we think of them as being on the strip, mm-hmm. like we're with all of those LA, all the LA glam rock bands, if you like. Well, they kind of killed the glam scene. They wanted to initially be a part of it, but because it had become so stale, Guns N' Roses were kind of a breath of fresh air for it. Like it, you can still hear traces of it, but they brought it back to being a bit more edgy and a bit less sort of um poppy singing about borrowing your girl's lipstick or whatever yeah they they ended up i don't know i can't put bon jovi and guns and roses in the same thing whatever regardless of my feelings of them because i think bon jovi were almost they're like 80s nickelback for me okay well i well i, I will counter that and so i'm sitting back and watching this go i like i did like bon jovi i have been to see bon jovi yeah. and like you say i like they don't an amazing show down in Southampton and they they were this was what 2006 I think I went to see them yeah so they weren't as old as they are now clearly um, and they were really really good but if you think like Guns N' Roses were say the biggest west coast band yeah Bon Jovi were massive I know you know from the east coast if you yeah. like but Bon Jovi were massive so you've got these two bands and all the way through to 92 93 i suppose and def leppard you can include def leppard sheffield's finest if you like oh so that's arctic monkeys now yes yes yeah you know include def leppard in this they were and if you want to iron maiden to a lesser extent but we'll go with def leppard bon jovi and guns and roses they were all selling out massive stadiums like big super bowls so so that's where i kind of put them in there maybe maybe not critically Mm -hmm. maybe not in terms of credibility even but in terms of You've got enough money for one gig ticket. You're going to go and see Guns N' Roses or Bon Jovi. Definitely. They're in the same. They're in the same breath, aren't they? They're in the same sport. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't bring myself to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's fine. I think the trouble with Bon Jovi is they never wrote their own hits, did they? They had, I, they, they had some help, didn't they? But then again, we'll, and we'll get on to these a little bit later on. Aerosmith. Yes, they got it. the same boy, Desmond Child, wasn't it? They brought the same bloke in to write "Loving an Elevator" and "Do Looks Like a Lady." When they when they were already big, though, and they were sort of running out of ideas a bit. When what? When they got off the heroin? Yeah, pretty much. Like they lost all their inspiration and they got somebody else in. Whatever. It seems like Bon Jovi kind of did that to get big. And I just think I don't know. Maybe it's the whole punk thing, you know, sell out kind of nonsense. I don't know. I I think John Bon Jovi's got enough charisma and enough of a voice that he was always going to be. I think he was always going to be something. Yeah, yeah, he's always going to be something, but it, it, yeah. it's not him that put himself there, I don't think. I think he had, okay. I don't know, it's just, it's 80s and it's bad yeah, yeah, for yeah. me and I can't really cope with it. <laughs> um, Scott, who would you consider GNR's peers then, you know, in a, in a in a realm of sort of creativity and credibility? Motley Crue, for a start. Um, I think like, Motley Crue came along earlier, obviously their first album was 1981, but Slash really admired what Motley Crue were doing. They were out there handing out flyers and they, they seemed to have this massive pull for the for the younger people getting them in. And they got that slightly more dangerous sound. Like Motley Crue, you know, if you put the song Livewire, it's got a real electricity to it. And a lot of the, the early Guns N' Roses stuff had the same thing. Yeah. Whereas Bon Jovi's made for stadiums to sing along to. Like, I guess it was sort of a stadium show for a club and that's, what made them a bit more interesting, a bit more explosive, kind of thing, like getting all that energy, but bringing it down to the the gritty street level. Um, so Motley Crue, definitely for one, just for the, there was a lot of similarities between the two, but I'd, I'd pick Guns N' Roses every time. 
Uh, I think Def Leppard, like you say, but they were British, so they weren't really on the same scene as such, but they're still making these big, big, heavy songs. Again, I'll argue with you then, because Def Leppard were absolutely massive in the States, and they spent more time touring the States than they did Europe and here. So, they, like, and, yeah. and like, like places like Japan and that, like, people forget just how big that Hysteria album was. Yeah, huge. And uh, I agree with you there. What, but what I meant was maybe, like, their roots wouldn't be in America. They were, you know. Uh, did, did, did they get classed in that new wave of British heavy metal? I know Iron Maiden were, but I don't know if Def Leppard were. I don't know if they do, because I think they're just a few years too late. Yeah. So that, like, Noobum, if you like, was, um, like, Maiden and Saxon and Judas Priest, maybe? Yeah, okay. Maybe Priest are a bit earlier, I don't know. But yeah, that's the sort of bands I think of. When yeah. I think of that. So I guess I think in terms of peers, I go for the harder rock bands, the, the ones mm. that you think of immediately, like Crew, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, Judas Priest, the ACDC, the, the great. I put them up Ozzy there. Ozzy Solo stuff's a good shout. Yeah. Because again, he was selling loads and playing big shows then as well. Yeah. So I'd, I'd put them up there with that. Just anybody huge that was, you know, the hard rock, that's where I'd go. That's the bracket I'd put them in. Would you put Metallica in that with them? Because I, like, I know I said before that I was sort of would say Metallica, were, you know, if you with the flip a coin on the two. But well, they did an early tour together. Oh, did they? That's what caused the big riot in St. Louis, and Guns N' Roses were banned from there for quite some time. Oh, right, okay. So I, I might put Metallica. I might put the Black Album in the same bracket as like one as the Use Your Illusion albums. Yeah, but if you look at what Metallica were doing in eighty six, eighty seven. Which would have been what, Master of Puppets? Or is that 80, not 80? But, you know, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets. Yeah, Master of Puppets to Appetite for Destruction, different worlds. Yeah, yeah One's a metal album. What One's a metal album, this is a rock and roll album. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. I think they'd probably hate each other back then, wouldn't they? What surprised me about this is it's actually, Appetite is much later than I thought it was. So I, I, and that, that's just, just my own sort of ignorance. I thought they were much earlier in the 80s. Yeah, the, the first Guns and I sort of think of Guns and Roses as sort of an eighties band almost. I think, and it's something we'll probably come on to about why maybe that is the case. They're very in between the two decades, aren't they? Very in between. Yeah, yeah. and it's and and we might come on to it in more detail later. But it's a, again, it's it feels like a long time. Well, no, it is quite a long time that they were massive for. But it's technically it's free studio albums. Yeah, and then if you think about it, like eighty five, they sort of were together, you know, writing the, the Appetite songs. They got signed in eighty eight eighty six. They got signed and put that live like a suicide. EP yeah, out. and then it was was it ninety two or ninety three where the main band imploded. So like, yeah, talking yeah. all this happened in what six seven years. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, that's a lot to put out in a short yeah. space. Yeah. Whereas. Weezer would have produced like fifteen albums. Oh yeah, don't, 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 let's not get back onto that. That's 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 <laughs> a, that's uh, for another night. So, just in terms of standing up against their peers, then, or the, the, the way I think about that is, I used to love Bon Jovi. Mm. I, you can roll your eyes away. No, no, no. I, n- I I never listened to Bon Jovi. I I like Def Leppard. I never listened to Def Leppard. I always listen to Guns N' Roses. Yeah. I always listen to Appetite. Yeah. And I think that's where it stands up above. The, its peers at the time a bit like this is kind of a lame analogy but if we had a visitor from another planet and they said to you what is rock and roll what would you show them yeah, yeah. it'd be guns and roses and what is a rock band guns and roses yeah every time for me yeah i i think and uh, this might sound a bit naff but like because you know i, I maybe it's, i don't know the scene well enough but like i almost see them as sort of like kind of a bit of an outlier 
you know, I, I wouldn't consider them a similar band to like Jovi and, and stuff like that and that. But then like I would associate like the more of the metal stuff with like the bands that sort of came afterwards. So sort of like Pantera, Mag Megadeth, Metallic. I know there's a bit of overlap there, but I, I don't see them as being in either camp, I don't think. No, no, no. Um, it's, and it's almost like, what are they? Well, they're, they're Guns and Roses, mm, a yeah. little bit. Like To me, it's like if the Rolling Stones are the Dirty Beatles, Guns and Roses are the Dirty Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they do. They're, they're, Sash is heavily interested, uh, influenced Sorry, by um, the Stones. Like he, that's the, he lists that as his main. Stones and Aerosmith. It basically equals Slash's guitar sound. But so you you said about them killing off the hair metal, the glam rock, if you like, which um, should bring us on to our next category, Sam. Yes, it does. Nicely. Well done. <laughs> Getting good at this now. So would it be fair to say that what followed, you know, the asteroids of the dinosaurs is grunge what killed hard rock? Very good. Okay. I, 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 this is going to be interesting. Now. This question was pre-sent to me, and I have been thinking about it. And to quote Fat Mike for no effects, Nirvana's Nevermind was an extinction-level event for the dinosaur rock, the hair metal, everything like that. Suddenly, the focus shifted to the alternative bands, as we know, but we don't need that history lesson. What I would say, though, is... Did it kill hard rock because grunge, what bands from the grunge scene are still touring now? And shall we list how many of the hard rock bands are still touring to this day? So did it kill them or did it just sort of like distract people from them for a while? So I've got a bit of a hot take, which we like very much on we do. this show. So I don't think grunge killed hard rock. No. I think Guns N' Roses killed hard rock. Oh, right. Okay. Because that's how they describe themselves. So because there was so long between appetite and then this big i don't want to use the word bloated but compared to appetite the the usual illusion double album is a monster isn't it is a monster mm. it's the difference between siamese dream and melancholy and the infinite sadness it's just like it's i i know it's two separate cds you buy them separate but it's it's meant to be a double album yeah. but it was so long between them and you just had the lies collection came out in between yeah. and then they were doing these massive massive tours in these massive, massive stadiums, there's not a lot of intimacy there. It's not like playing at the whiskey like they used to. Yeah. That connection with the fans isn't there anymore. There's all of Axel's diva messing around, late, yeah. not not turning up. The band is split up. No, they're not. Someone's in rehab. No, they're not. We're playing here. No, you know, it's, you never know where you are. Monstrous nine-minute ballads all over the shop and massive orchestras and overblown videos. Yeah. Oh, but come on, come on, that is great though six backing singers on stage or whatever mm. i mean to be honest at that time like, i think the best gig or the best one of the best performances i saw them do was like a fairly stripped down performance at the freddie mercury tribute concert yeah that was cool and i think they played like four songs or something and they're really good then but then you see other like the next time they play wembley if you like they've got the grand piano gets wheeled out and then there's like the the like the three backing singers and it's just you know, you're so far away from the crowd. Yeah. And I think compare that to the simplicity of the grunge bands, if you like, where it is basically we're going to turn up when we say we're going to turn up for the most part. Yeah. And we're going to play and it's going to be in small sweaty places that normally wouldn't put on gigs. So like, like a lot of the grunge scene, certainly in Seattle, was 
DIY gigs. We, we've got nowhere to play, so we'll put a gig on here. We'll we'll make the gigs because no one's the bands aren't coming. Guns and Roses aren't going to Seattle to play because it's too far. Yeah. Okay. Genuinely, now I'm not like taking the piss at all. No, no. Um, no this no. could be an age thing because you were around then and I wasn't. So the grand scene was what hit you like yeah. quick. Oh so yeah, 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 yeah. I only and I, you're probably going to hate my guts for this, but I only know Nirvana and Pearl Jam of grunge bands. I couldn't tell you any others. I don't know if you class Smashing Pumpkins as grunge or... Yeah, I, yeah gr- I do. Grunge, grunge adjacent, if you like. Okay. Take him out then, of the Zoom, uh, Rob, or... No, <laughs> um, and then you've got like the big ones from Seattle, certainly. So obviously Nirvana and Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Ah, okay, right. Mud Honey. Um, later on, Stone Temple Pilots. Right. Um, Smashing Pumpkins. I mean, really, if you think about it, it's like bands like the Melvins and the Pixies and all that started it off. Yeah. But like, like that real cluster of bands from Seattle would have, like the big ones would have been Sandgarden, the first ones to get signed. Yeah. And then and the first ones to get a major label. But so, and then there was lots of all the other bands kind of were just satellites around Chris Cornell and Sandgarden. Okay. So they, they, all, they all played with each other. Yeah. So it was a real like homegrown scene. You know how you get your mate from um, Last Tree Squad to come and play with you yeah. sometimes. It was like that. If Cornell's about, he'll go and play with Mother Love Bone, right? And then Mother Love Bone implode, and they form Pearl Jam, and then they do Temple of the Dog with Chris Cornell, and now the drummer from Sand Garden is the drummer for Pearl Jam. Okay, well, Stone Temple Pilots and Guns and Roses crossed over in what was one yeah. hell of an art, like Contraband yeah. by Velvet Revolver, which was Slash Duff and Matt with. Uh, Stone Temple pilot singer and some random dude. That contraband album was amazing. Like it was really good, and a lot of people say if Axel had sung on those songs, it would have been something really special. I mean, you could argue that Guns N' Roses are the first wave of that grunge scene because Duff's in them. So could we? I mean, they're clearly not. They're clearly no. not because they're 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 one hundred percent LA. But think we could but... come up with our own thing here and say that they were definitely the first nail in the coffin of the glam hair metal ridiculousness that Hollywood had become. But yeah, I think yeah, I think that's what I'm getting at is that I think people went off like if Guns N' Roses were the last remaining band from that LA scene, they put the they put their own nails in their own coffin with all their messing about. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's quite interesting. I didn't realise that there was such a, again, I'm learning a lot, that there was such a big gap between Appetite and Your Illusion, sorry, is it? And like, because that is, it's not, again, I don't know the other record quite so well, but it's, it's a big change from like Welcome to the Jungle to November Rain, isn't it? Well, do you know what? Axel had November Rain. He, he was doing it in the Appetite Sessions. Oh, really? And he said if he couldn't get it finished by the end of the Use Your Illusion albums, then he was going to give up music. Oh, wow. What I read was that um, he wanted to put November Rain on there, but they already had Sweet Child of Mine, and he didn't want to have two ballads yeah. uh, on the record. Right. So speaking of Axel, do you feel that they get the Morecambe and Wise Award for... <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> um, do they get the Sam Jones and Scott Hardy Award for <laughs> Best Singer slash Guitar Double Act? Well, this is the thing. This is why you're struggling to come up with a name for the award is because there's not that many of them about. Yeah. Uh, it's like how many other bands have got two iconic frontmen? Because say what you like, Slash might be the or Axel might be the singer. Slash is also a frontman. Oh, he's like God, the yeah. band, isn't he? He's instantly recognisable. But I'd say Sam, don't we get that award? 
Well, normally, I, I don't know if we can give it to ourselves, but, yeah. you know. But who, who would they be up against, though? That's a good point. Name another one. Well, I've got two others. There's the obvious of um, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only other one I could think of was Joe Perry and Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith. Funnily enough, both in massive influences on Axel and Slash. Would you, uh, again, I know we're kind of going in circles here, but John Bon and Richie Sambora? I don't think it's in the same league. No? Yeah. No, no, I think... So you, you, you go to someone, you say, um, who's a guitarist in Guns N' Roses? Mm. Anyone on the street, they'll say Slash. Yeah. Who, who's, who's the singer with Who's the singer with Guns N' Roses? Yeah, who's the guitarist? Or, you, or let me put it better way. Go up to a random person on the street. How many members of Guns N' Roses can you name? Mm. Oh, Axl Rose, Slash, uh, and then they'll get a bit stuck. Yeah. Name some members of uh, Bon Jovi. Well, John Bon Jovi. Yeah. You got you've got to like them to know it's like yeah. like them enough to know it's Richie Sambora. Yeah, fair. So I don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. it's know that. No, I think that's I used to point. get Richie Sambora mixed up with a guy from is it Deep Purple? Is it Richie Blackmore? <laughs> I used to always get those two mixed up. Brilliant. Poor Richie Blackmore. <laughs> <laughs> Would you include guy something like Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield? They're two guitarists, though, aren't they? Yeah. And they're like they're, they're the, probably the ultimate guitar duo, definitely mm. one of them. Yeah, all right. Yeah, no, we could discount that. I'm, I'm, I was just just thinking there because again, this is the thing as well. It's like a lot of bands after generally then just have like the one focal point. So a, a closer one to me, but not even in the same league, is that you've got um, James Dean Bradfield and Nicky Wire and the Manics. They're both pretty iconic, mm. and if anything, Nicky Wire. I know he's a bass player, but he is the more noticeable of the two. Yeah, he's the more he's the more flamboyant, he's the more charismatic, so on and so forth. Yeah, I, um, I agree. so that might be the closest one I can think of. Because James Dean Brownfield looks completely normal, doesn't he? You could probably walk past yeah. him in the street if you didn't yeah. know him like as well as you do. Obviously, but, but again, what a singer, what a guitar player. Yeah, you can't take that away like, from him. Yeah, uh, I've got I've got a couple more. If if you're yeah, um, from from a similar area, that uh, area era. Um, Dimebag and Phil Anselmo. Yeah, if you're into it, it is, isn't it? But again, the man, it's, it's, it's this, I, I, can't, like, I reckon if you went and said, name people in Rolling Stones, Mick and Keith, name someone yeah. from Pantera, well, who? Dime. I couldn't tell you. I no, no but would, people, would my neighbour know who Pantera is? No, no. That... But they probably know Guns N' Roses. Yes, yeah. Not, and again, you, you, you're probably right, but and I because I'm going to get their names wrong now. But the the Ramones that they're pretty good, you know, quite an iconic singer guitarist. A lot of people know their names though because it's all over their t-shirts, isn't it? True. Yeah, yeah. Steve Jones and Johnny Rotten. I don't. I don't think Johnny Rotten would want his name mentioned with anyone else. Yeah, but though, I don't really want can't. Johnny Rotten's name mentioned with anything. But I'm, I'm still going to chuck it out there. I wouldn't know? say no because they're not. Even when they were in a band together, they were mm. not together. They weren't a unit because they, they hated each other, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, and and the if if you want to call it a double act, if you were, it'd, it'd be Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good point. Um, and the same is and completely different. You might say Strummer and Mick Jones, but you've got to be into it. Yeah. Lars and, and then Tim. they ended up breaking up. But Lars and Tim, yeah, exactly. But then saying that slash and uh, slash and Axel, sorry, they spent more time hating each other than they did working together. Yeah, but on stage they're just iconic, aren't they? Yeah. And it's, uh, there's definitely something between them that 
kind of when they're on stage and they're performing, they need each other. Mm. Despite all the work that Sash has done solo or with other bands, other projects, I don't think he's been complete without Axl Rose. And Axl Rose has done fuck all without Slash. Yeah, that album we put out. I tell you what was interesting actually about the gig I just saw was Slash's take on Chinese democracy, the song. Oh, it's just, it's better. It's definitely better. Yeah, I, f- I find that mad. That um, And this is probably, for me, what, what would cement it is that like people, well, like, at least I say people, me, I know Chinese democracy because it's the album that just Axel did. Yeah. I and couldn't forever. And it, and forever. it took forever. But like... Didn't Offspring put an album out called Chinese Democracy just to piss yeah, them off? Yeah, it's called Snooze. Just because they're taking... Chinese Democracy, you snooze, you lose. That's what they <laughs> call it. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, what you, similar to what you were saying, Rob, like, they, they, it works. It's like a reaction, isn't it? It's like a chemical reaction. They're both... Well, Slash is probably the, the, the better of the two on his own, but you put them together and you get, like... It's alchemy. It's... You've got these two on their own, they're good, but you put them together and it's just something else. Yeah. Something else entirely. And you can go back and you watch some of those old gigs, even the big stadium gigs. I know I sort of said that, you know, they feel a bit bloated. I think they would have been a bit bloated and a bit distant if you were there, but watching them mm. on the telly, like Glastonbury recently, like the best place to watch Glastonbury is, or gigs at Glastonbury is at home. Mm. It's like watching the Formula One. The best place to watch Formula One is at mm. home. Like those g- g- gigs that big if all you can see is the screen you might as well be at home watching telly yeah sorry uh it's just come to mind um i think i do have a pairing that yeah you could almost don henley and joe walsh well no that's what i was thinking of but um freddie mercury and brian may that's pretty like that's pretty iconic but does freddie just steal the show Oh yeah freddie doesn't need brian may you know but um oh i don't know his solo stuff is dreadful isn't it the Christmas one was his own, no one, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do love a Christmas. But then Brian May solo stuff to the Ford advert. No, oh, yeah. everything I do is driven by you. Oh, oh god, gross. I think that went to number one about two weeks after Freddie died, didn't it? Um, anyway, moving on. I, I don't think so, is my answer to this next question, but I'm happy to listen to your arguments. But is this the best debut album of all time? Yes. Um, it's difficult to say because I haven't heard every debut album of all time, but for me, it's just the greatest fucking album of all time, whether right. debut or last or anything, you know what I mean? It's just, I wanted to find me a better one. All right. <laughs> okay, right, right. So, so the current holder of the title is the first day, de- is the debut Arctic Monkeys album. It's good, but it's not Appetite. I didn't even weigh in on the Arctic Monkeys album, did I? So I love that album. I think it's really good. I think the lyrics are clever and everything, but it's not Appetite. What I would say about it, and when you... It is almost sounds a bit silly to compare to some, something like the Arctic Monkeys to it, because when you listen to Appetite and you listen to the Arctic Monkey, like one clearly sounds like it better, and that's Appetite because of how it sounds and like the... The craftsmanship of the of the play in that that isn't to take away. I I personally think the art. I would. I think I prefer. I prefer the Arctic's at least. But that's a lot to do with like you're saying the lyricism of it and the 
the the, the moments and, and all of that. But you, you you listen to Appetite and it's crazy how good it is. And I, it's a bit mind-blowing that that's the first thing, real thing that they did. Well, Welcome to the Jungle broke MTV. Like they, mm. they played it at something like three in the morning and the switchboards just lit up and it, it broke <laughs> it completely. Like I don't think any of the, I mean, I bet you look good on the dance floor is a great tune, mm. but it didn't break the music channels. No. Did the Arctic Monkeys record, did that come out on an indie label first or was that straight, straight out? Like, Domino is it? Appetite, oh, right. Because Appetite was on, straight out on Geffen. You yeah. See? So, so there was, you know, they've been playing on the strip for a while and then got signed and it, it, it like i say it was 18 months or so between getting i think they got signed in march 86 yeah they put out put out a live ep and then it was july 87 that the record came out so they spent a lot of time in the studio on it and i think you can hear that yeah definitely yeah whereas i i wonder if the arctic's album was just that bit cheaper Oh God, yeah, and I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way at all. I just, but, no, whether not, that's... but I think the the big record companies were throwing a lot of money at rock records in that period, whereas the Arctic Monkeys it was a gamble because the indie scene wasn't massive mm. at that point. They were no. like front runners, weren't they? For more information on that, you can revisit our indie disco episode. <laughs> nice plug an earlier uh, record yeah. bands there. I suppose it's it's also it's going to be difficult if we're going to be trying to hand over this award from yeah a punk album in the in the two thousands to a rock and roll album from nineteen eighty seven to I don't know we might it might be Bjork next. It's so not maybe be we Bjork. don't. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a category that we have to retire. Well, yeah. Does it stand up though today? Um, like, like and what I mean by that is, if it came out today, would it be as massive? Well, this Thor movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, they're obviously aiming at an audience where they can get as many people as possible. What song did they choose? They didn't choose one of these terrible new acts, did they? They chose Sweet Child of Mine. I mean, would it be as massive? Probably not, because it's it is, obviously it's an 80s record, but they're still... There is a trend at the minute to put late 80s early 90s rock songs slowed down versions into trailers like the batman had something in the way or something yeah you know the nirvana song on it and I that's think... my favorite song on that album yeah but you, you know it's so it, so i don't know if that's quite yeah i don't know i think the fact that it can still be used for that shows that it does still sound you know it's still amazing or maybe they're just playing off the legendary song i don't know i'll tell you what be a good experiment is because i don't know if We've done it yet, but is that if I actually put it on beginning to end with my kids? Mm. Yeah, that'd be better because nowadays the, the music's very different nowadays. Like then the record companies decided what to put out your day and our guys, but now mm. with the internet, everybody's making. And there might be a kick against it if it is if if, if it's the same system. If Geffen suddenly decide these are the next big band, that the world might go actually no, they're not. Yeah, because we've just found this other band on in a dark corner of the internet that we like more. Yeah, exactly. So, so the, the, I think whether they punch through the noise, but I think it's it's still if it was released today, people go, "Oh, it's good." That is, they might not go, "Oh, it's the best album of all time," but they go, "Yeah, it's pretty decent." That. So sorry, I just wanted to say. Um... Some of it, some of the lyrics are maybe might not quite fly. There's more of a general. He has he has apologised for yeah, any yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah, hasn't he? Yeah, you know, so. uh, yes, to be fair. Um, 
He's put his hands up. And I mean, we're, we are quite open and outspoken about when shit isn't right. Mm. And I think credit to Axel for being a bit more open to criticism, whereas maybe in the 90s he would have just doubled down on it yeah. all. And now he's gone, actually, do you know what? That's not overly sensitive. It's not great. Yeah. And I don't know if it's necessarily all on this album, but then there's, there's stuff on it as well, like to, the, the sex noises on um, Rocket Queen yeah. are apparent. So the story is that it's actually Axel having sex with someone in the studio and they've recorded Brilliant. it. Brilliant. But but that doesn't ring true to me, because, or maybe it does, because that means if someone's recording it, someone's probably watching. Mm. Yeah, I've read, I think it was in Slash's autobiography and one of the other authorised Guns N' Roses biographies, it was a friend of theirs, and she, I think she'd been around quite a few of the band and they all commented on how loud she was. <laughs> and they asked her if she'd be up for it, and I think she kicked off afterwards. Like, she did it. She still did it, but she kicked off afterwards. Did she do the noises into her microphone, or was she actually having sex with Axel? This is what we'll never know. Right, okay, because the story I heard was that they were actually doing it, and it got recorded. That's the story that they want to put out. Um, Yeah, but that's not great when it comes to consent, is it? No, not nowadays, certainly not. And probably not then either, it's probably not right. But in terms of the most dangerous band in the world vibe that they were trying to go for. It, it certainly sells. See, I've actually got a theory now on the amount of drug use that supposedly went on, right? Now, absolutely stone cold sober, I can't still play Summer Slash's guitar solos, right? How you can do that on a litre of Jack Daniels and <laughs> I don't know, whatever measurement of heroin, you can't play like that, I don't think. Like, I just, I think it'd be impossible but then there's some references in the lyrics to like I I just wonder if like can you write some of those lyrics without actually living it? Yeah, there, I mean there is that. But whether it was as bad as they say it was, yeah, 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 yeah. Like look at the Motley Crew, the their biography, the Dirt turned out to yes. be a pack of lies. A lot of it, brilliant, book, but it, but... yeah, good, good uh, TV film as well. But yeah, a lot of it turned out to be bullshit. But it, it helped with the brand, the selling records, this dangerous bunch of, you know, hooligans or whatever. Sorry, Sam, we jumped in. No, no, that's fine. I just, just want to say for anyone interested, the kettle at the start of one of the Angry Barrel songs was from an actual cup of tea I was making. So, Excellent. You know, just, uh, Brilliant. Yeah, I'd say our, our tea use in the band is as excessive as Guns N' Roses <laughs> heroin use. I would definitely <laughs> say that. All right, so um, our last two, and I've got, I do have a, a hot take. Well, not really a hot take, a uh, thought on the last one. So I think we'd probably agree that despite being their first record, this is peak Guns N' Roses. Oh, I don't know. I don't no? know. I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes. I'm saying Axel's voice is amazing. Yeah. There's so much going on there, but it's still really tight. And it's really, like, unlike the shows that get, you know, like yeah. I said plenty of times, they get a bit much. It's just it's tight and it's fast and it's hard. And after this album comes out and they've toured a bit, they I feel like they start to believe their own hype a little yeah. bit. I would say it's their best album for sure. A million percent, like it's peaking the albums, but there are some moments on the Use Your Illusion mm. store which can't be ignored. I would say that is one, like the Use Your Illusion albums are one great album. Yeah. Yeah. You There's could, some you could really, say... really good stuff on yeah. there, but... Like I, I, I much prefer the second one, the blue one. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a much better record. My favourites on there would be stuff like Estranged, Great, and Locomotive, Locomotive yeah. 
Getting the rings on that. That's a great but, track. Yeah, getting rings on there. But then on, um, the, on the orange. Break, breakdown's great. Mm. Right next yeah. door to hell. Uh, uh, double Talking Jive. Double Talking Jive. They played that. That was fucking cool yeah. to hear that. But then you've also got like Dead Horse. Yeah. That Homer. Was... And they're a bit much like you could lose there. Yeah. Is it My World at the end of That's two? fucking weird, that one. Yeah. But then you've also got You Could Be Mine. Yeah. Right. That right, is, yeah. but but do you need two versions of Don't Cry? Nah, the first one is good. Really do you good. do you need Knocking on Heaven's Door? Do you need Living That Die? Yes. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, they're the only two examples. They're good, but in terms cover. of it, but all I'm thinking of is if if you're trying to compact those two, in, we should do this as a separate episode. Um, but if you're trying to compact compact them into one album, you want more Guns and Roses. You don't want Wings and Bob Dylan. Uh, I, Very I'd good say, point. Sorry, go on, Sky, if you've got more to add there. Well, I was going to say, th- those two songs, I would say, are, are solid examples of where a cover is better than the original. <laughs> oh, uh, that's bold. You're a big Dylan fan, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but uh, to be fair, I uh, to me, it's a little bit like Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower. It's a different song. I, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's it's... It's, it's the difference between Johnny Cash's Hurt and Nine Inch Nails. Exactly, hurt. exactly, yeah. So this is our final one for tonight. Is this the last great rock and roll album? Now, before you two go off and do whatever you want to do, I think that although it's a great rock and roll album, it's certainly not the last great rock and roll album, but I think that is because rock and roll has changed. Exactly, it's an ever-changing beast, isn't it? Because you've got three years later, you've got uh, never mind. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, use your illusions are great albums. Like I say, it could probably be condensed, but you you could put them. But there. they're rock albums. Yeah, they're not rock and roll albums. I, when I when I came up with this, like this, when I had this thought of the last great rock and roll album, I'm thinking Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, Rolling Stones, that sort of lineage. Right. That, right. That really, real bluesy influenced rock and roll music I'm with you. as opposed to, as opposed to rock music right i see what you sense. mean I ah. see. where it's got it's got that bit of groove and a bit of swagger like for me I, I say yes i think it is the last really really great rock and roll album because it's again it's fast and it's got swagger and it grooves and it's grubby like you want to have a shower after you listen to it it's just you know and it's it's really authentic in like it's authentic LA strip, isn't it? Yeah, it's it it's very much a product of its environment, and I think it's it's kind of they're being the rock stars that we all want to be. Yeah, and that's on this album. Whereas, like, if you think of a rock star, you think of that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these tonight have been uh, well a, a lot more discussion than I thought. I thought we were going to have a few. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like Pete Guns and Roses, that's going to be absolutely nailed on. But that that does bring the award section of the show to a close. So, does anybody have anything else to add? I'll just say that I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to when I listened to it this morning. And Scott, much like when Nathan heard Jamie T for the first time, he said, "Ah, oh, now I know where you get all your lyrics from." Now I know where you got all your riffs from. Yeah, it is. It's a huge influence on my playing. Like, it really is. And, I mean, there's been a couple of times at practice where, I've, you know, because I joined Barrels later than, well, I've come, what, two EPs in. Uh, but when I sort of add something in, there's been a couple of times where Buff's looked at me and gone, 
all right, try to be slasher, yeah? But it, <laughs> it just, but it happens completely naturally. I'm unaware yeah. of doing it, but I suppose there's worse people you can try and emulate. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yeah. Um, Rob, anything else to add? I've really enjoyed listening to it again mm. lately, but then I've probably listened to it the week before, yeah. and I've probably listened to it the week before that. It's For me, it's a... It's one of my top five albums of all time, and it's absolutely epic. Yeah, and I've I've been listening to it for best part of thirty years, and I listen to it for another thirty years. I expect, and I think that's the mark of of a great album, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say I'd extend on Rob's. It's not quite in my top five. I think it's in my top one. That was our thoughts on Appetite for Destruction. If anyone out there has got any thoughts of their own they want to share with us, tell us we're wrong on anything. Tell us where we're right because we probably are right all the way through there. (laughs) Yeah. If anyone wants to weigh in on the Bon Jovi versus Axel Rose debate, we're on Instagram at Records and Bands. You can find us there. Um, give us a like and a subscribe at all the places you can. And until next time, we'll see you later. Thank you very much, boys. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks for, coming back, you. Scott. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey.